Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Blackness Interrupted. My name is Tamara, and I'm here with Nicole and John Zell. John Zell is a licensed professional counselor. John Zell, would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hello, thank you for having me. Um, so, like you said, I'm a licensed professional counselor. I uh, have a private practice, it's just me, uh, where I see clients for therapy. I'm in the Richmond, Virginia area. Uh, currently doing everything online, so I can work with clients throughout the state of Virginia. Um, outside of the work that I do, uh, I am a father to a beautiful 19-month-old uh, uh, screaming, running girl. Um, she just started learning how to walk, so she went from being delayed on walking to now she chases me, so um, that keeps me occupied between working from home and like kind of being a stay at home dad. Um, I also have a podcast where I talk about uh, topics related to mental health uh, focused on, you know, communities of color. Um, and I read a lot of books. So that's a little bit about me. Thank you so much for sharing. So what made you want to open up your practice? Can you speak to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I went to college and the goal was to become an elementary school teacher. Um, and so up until my junior year, I was just put, taking all the education classes and things like that. I was also, my major was psychology. So uh, upon doing a few internships for teaching, I realized that I don't like little kids. So I switch gears and I was like, okay, let me use the psychology degree. And my backup plan was always to be a school counselor. Um, and then once I started looking at grad schools, I decided that professional counseling would be a better fit for me. But it all came full circle because I ended up marrying a school counselor. So um, yeah, I think from the time I decided to go to graduate school, I knew I wanted to have a private practice that I wanted to work for myself. So I just kind of jumped through all the hoops and made that happen. It sounds amazing. Um, tell us a little bit about how it's been to be um, a Black uh, entrepreneur throughout COVID last year and all of the injustices that are going on right now. And even yes. Virginia, like I know Virginia doesn't have well, we don't have it in general. It's what our book talks about, but I know Virginia especially probably doesn't have a lot of colored um, counselors. So Yeah. Okay. Um, so if I forget half of the question, just remind me. Um, so as far as being a Black male therapist slash business owner, um, if you Google, or at least I've done it before, uh, you Google Black male therapist near me, there's maybe five people that show up. Uh, and I live in a pretty good size area. Um, 
most therapists, and I'm sure you probably see this in whatever areas y'all are in too, it's mostly white females in the field. So um, as far as being a black male therapist, um, that actually, I would say that 70% of the people who contact me through psychology today found me by Googling black male therapists. And so I'm like on the only page of people that pops up. So um, there's definitely a high demand, um, which is good for business, right? To um, be in a category that has a, um, people are looking for a black male therapist. Um, as far as COVID, um, I guess there's two parts to the question too, because there's COVID and then there's racial unrest, right? So as far as COVID is concerned, uh, prior to COVID happening, I saw all of my clients in person. I had a physical office that I went to. I had online therapy set up, but it was more so as a backup, like if someone was sick or um, couldn't make it to the office or something like that, it was kind of like a backup, but I would say 99% of my sessions were in person and then COVID happened. And then I obviously had the stuff set up to do online sessions if I needed to. So it was pretty easy to switch, um, but none of us realized how long we would be living in a virtual world. So it'll be, I think it'll be two years in March now coming up. So we're like a year, a year and a half or so into this pandemic. Um, and I'm still doing all of my sessions online. I don't really um, plan to start seeing people in person anytime soon. Um, Cause it definitely, there, it was a adjustment at first, but now it's kind of nice because, you know, my daughter was born probably like three months before the pandemic happened. So I've actually gotten to see her like grow up before my eyes, which, you know, most fathers probably don't get that much time with their kids um, at a young age for because we work and we do childcare and stuff. But um, that was kind of nice. And the third part of your question, I thought I wouldn't remember it, but I compartmentalized it in my head. Um, the racial unrest, um, interestingly enough, I live in Richmond, Virginia. So we have literally an entire street called Monument Avenue with lots of Confederate uh, monuments and stuff like that. So when all of the stuff, you know, broke loose last year, it was kind of, Richmond was making the national news often. Um, and so while my particular um, avenue is not to be out there protesting, um, my job as a therapist was actually a great medium to be able to help people. I had clients who were on the front lines like protesting. Um, I have clients who have been through some like pretty traumatic things, you know, at the hands of law enforcement and stuff like that. So I've been able to, as a therapist, been able to help those people, but also as a person of color, right. Um, and working with, you know, all types of people, I've had several opportunities to, um, how do we put this gently confront, 
some folks who um, sometimes people are ignorantly racist. And so given the heightened awareness and the everything that was going on, um, it's interesting how people will, obviously I'm, I'm here to, you know, listen to people and stuff like that, but it's interesting how very prejudiced things will fall out of somebody's mouth. And so little did I know when I went to grad school that I would be able to use the position of being a therapist to kind of open those conversations with people and make people feel a little uncomfortable so they can learn. So it's been a very interesting time to be a therapist and I, I would say it's been the most difficult, I guess, 2020, most of 2020 was the most difficult year that I've ever had being a therapist, but I also saw a lot of great things come out of that. So I think I thoroughly answered your question. You definitely did. Um, it's so interesting because Tamara and I say that all the time. When people are speaking about essential workers, I think that mm. it was mostly geared towards nurses and doctors, but yes. I was so overwhelmed. Tamara was so overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Last year, you were so overwhelmed. And it's just like, we're just as important as well because Blacks were starting to realize that they do need to acknowledge mental health. And uh, it, it became so overwhelming. You know, we're overbooked. We're, you know... It was really challenging last year. It's still mm -hmm. challenging. I think it's lingered. It's lingered. 2020 mm -hmm. has lingered definitely for this field. So it's been really nice to share that space because it's hard with the lack of Black um, mm -hmm. mental health clinicians. That equals lack of Black mental health supervisors. So it's like we only have each other. Definitely. Um, so it's definitely difficult. So, but while you're talking on this topic, your demographics are... For your clients, what mostly white? Or um, if I I have a little bit of everything, which I like. Um, I would say primarily most of my clients are Caucasian, um, but my I have a caseload probably of like over fifty people that rotate, you know, and not maybe not every they're not every week, but you know on average, I keep a caseload of about 50. Um, I would say probably maybe 70% white. Um, and then most of the rest of that percentage would be black, a few um, Asian and that's pretty much the demographics that I have. I'm I'm specializing working with adolescents and young adults. Um, so typically my clients are fall between the ages of 12 and 40. Um, and socioeconomic wise, it's I work with people who are on a low income to people who are very affluent. So it's a pretty good spread overall. It sounds like that. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, that makes sense with your state and everything and where you're located. Mm -hmm. I could see if maybe you're in Norfolk, that'd be more yeah. uh, black saturated, right? Yeah. And really, um, the pandemic 
um, it sounds ironic to, you know, mention, oh, these are good things that came out of this, you know, tragic, you know, global pandemic or whatever, but Black people and people of color in general were more open to getting help than I've ever seen before. Like, probably before the pandemic, I had a sprinkling of folks of color who I worked with in my practice. And it wasn't because, uh, you know, obviously when you look at my website, I'm brown, you know, like it, it's not like people don't know who they're reaching out to, but I think that that stigma and that um, fear of reaching out to someone kind of dissolves because everyone was really at their breaking point when they've been cooped up in their house for so long. Um, so it kind of was a catalyst for people to reach out and, and talk to somebody. So, um, that was actually pretty cool to see as a therapist that people were more open to it. So I actually don't, I agree with everything you said, but I actually asked some of my patients and some of them were saying, it's not that they didn't want to reach out or they were fearful. It's just like a lack mm -hmm. of where, and I think that that's so important to have that perspective and speak mm -hmm. about that because we can get wrapped up in, um, I think, white standards in society mm -hmm. and they would elude these conclusions, but they're not really the truth. It's yeah. not people's lack of one, like people said, there was a lot of memes that were saying blacks don't want to get vaccinations. And Tamara and I are just like, is it that? Or did we learn about Tuskegee Airmen? Did we learn about um, them mm -hmm. doing these type of experiments on us without our consent? Did yeah. we learn about those things that are actually true as to why we're not, you know, so I think it's important to like, that mm -hmm. may be truth to what you're saying, but I think the other part that's actually true for me actually acting is that, well, I had never seen a black doctor before, so I assume it's none. So then why go to the doctor? Yeah. So I I can relate that? with that too. <laughs> you can tell us yeah. tell me a little bit about that. How you so um for example, I I'm a millennial, so I'm 29. When I was going, if I look back, because if I trace I I live with anxiety. I didn't real I didn't know what it was until I was in college, but looking back at my adolescence, I never once ever heard of anybody my age saying that they were going to therapy, like not throughout high school, middle school. Um, and when I got into college and was studying psychology, it was still, there's kind of this idea that, okay, well, therapy is for white people. Um, and when I finally got into the field and started practicing, I was like, why, where are all the black people, um, like wanting services and stuff like that. So it definitely was an adjustment to see that people of color are not necessarily, it's almost like we're more skeptical and less likely to use the services than um our non-melanated counterparts so um but i can understand it because if you google like your book says if you google therapist near me or a top psychologist it's a bunch of white people 
that pop up as the result. And if you don't see yourself, why would you literally share the most intimate details of yourself with somebody? So um, it makes sense to me. Definitely. How does that feel though? Like I get so shook every time you say that, like someone can Google you as a resource. It's like so important that I, I don't know when we come across Tamara and I like black males in this field, it's just a little bit different because it is so rare. And I just think it's so important because in our book, when we speak about research and um, trying to find sources, it is so important what you, what you did beyond you saying here, you sitting here and being proud of yourself. Like you're going to be, to be a resource for other black men out there and just for anyone that's in this field and wants to open up their own practice, it's important mm-hmm. for representation, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm always I- telling people, like, especially people of color, the, the American dream used to be house with a picket fence, two cars, you know, all of that, right? That, what, whatever, right? The American dream, in my opinion, based on my lived experience and stuff like that, is owning your own thing. Um, So to not have to work for somebody else, but to be able to create wealth for yourself with the skill set that you've accumulated. So I'm always like, and I, you know, the, the clients of color that I have, a lot of them be like, well, I've been thinking about, you know, starting a candle business, or I've been thinking about doing this kind of business or whatever. And I'm like, yes, do it. We need more black business owners. We need, cause there are so many people who want to support black business. It's just, we need them to be there providing the service. So um, I, I think the question was originally like, what is that like to be able to be a resource or to show other people that a person of color can accomplish these things? Um, it's more on an individual level, like what is your ambition and what do you want to make happen? But also if say I work with these, you know, teenagers, right. They may think, Oh, well, this guy is a therapist and I never even really knew about therapy before I could start my own business someday. Um, It's good to have role models like that. So. Absolutely. Do you have it? Go ahead, Mara. I'm not going to ask, I don't know if he's going to ask any question, but I was going to ask, like, what has your experiences been as um, someone who is biracial? Um, mm-hmm. You identify as black and white, right? I identify as black, but I also say I'm black bi- and biracial. So I kind of, I guess, flip flop between the two, depending on the context. Got it. So how has your experiences been? And growing up, did your family talk about mental health at all? Or did you kind of learn more about your mental health as you went into the field? That's a great question. Um, so I was raised by my the white side of my family. Um, my father's side, well, he was absent. And so therefore, I didn't have any really interactions with the Black side. Um, and that half happens to be African, like uh, Sierra Leone. Um, so I'm literally half African, half, you know, Michigan, Caucasian, American, right? Um, and so my identity didn't start developing as a Black person until I was an adult. Um, 
And looking back, I can see there was a lot of ignorance, prejudice, racism within the white side of my family. Um, And as a biracial person, you know, I look at myself and I'm like, well, I'm brown, right? Uh, But some family members were like, well, you're more white than you are black. It was almost like, it was like an erasure of the half of my identity that's very apparent to everybody. Um, So there wasn't a lot of like uh, black pride or um, learning about where the 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 origins or even connecting like you know we all go through school and we learn about slavery we learn about civil rights and all of that nobody was there to connect those experiences with who I am right so I, I I'm literally on the journey still to this day of oh my goodness this um this connects directly with me I'm able to like make it 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 seems real to me now books are the best teacher, in my opinion. So to answer your question, no, there was no uh, training, empathy, understanding or anything about, you're not just mixed, you're African and uh, Caucasian and you have a unique identity. It was more so like even kids in school, they'd be like, well, what are you? Mix? Black? What do you want me to be? Like, it's hard to... um, identify yourself, especially if at home, no one's telling you or teaching you about it. So um, it's really cool now as a therapist, because it's almost like when you step into an identity or you get comfortable with um, who you are, like I'm a biracial black man with dreadlocks, right? Once I started like talking on my podcast or on my blog about my identity and how I'm learning about myself and stuff, I started getting all sorts of biracial black people with dreadlocks as clients, right? Like, um, and uh, I don't know, there's something about like, if, if you know who you are, you can, people gravitate towards you and then you can help them along their journey and finding their identity and stuff like that too. So does that answer your question? I want to, I always, feel like I uh, don't answer all the parts, so. No, everything's perfect. That makes sense. I think that's why Tamara and I feel so strongly about having a practice that is, you know, creates a space for Black clients and patients specifically, Mm -hmm. because there is so many um, non-melanin, as you said, uh, clinicians out there. And it's just would be nice to have one place where they don't have to s- split their space with others completely, Absolutely. Open, you know? So it's really nice that you find relatability through therapeutic sessions, mm-hmm. you know? It's a- and also with the, um, I think it goes back to another question that y'all asked, but like with everything that happened last year, you know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, all of the tons of names that it would take hours to really list them all. The clients I had of color who were, you know, internalizing that and talking about like, well, I feel fearful of driving in a certain area at night or, um, you know, if you're a runner and you know, like, hey, something bad could happen to you just for running through your neighborhood, right? Um, The ability to 
as a person of color, be able to say, I'm scared too. I'm a runner and I'm terrified, you know, that when I go out for a run, I'm somebody could feel some kind of way about me or, um, you know, when, uh, if I'm driving somewhere and someone thinks, well, what is that person doing in that kind of car? Like, um, will I be, you know, um, treated a certain way by law enforcement? Like, I think all of us can relate to the, you know, we keep all of our forms for our car in like the visor instead of in the glove compartment, right? So that we don't have to reach anywhere. Um, and being able to just have those candid conversations with people. And, and as a therapist, we don't have the answers, right? Like there was nothing I could tell them like, oh, we'll do these tapping exercises and go on a walk and you'll feel better kind of thing. It's like, I was really just like, yeah, the shit sucks. And um, I feel that too. And I'm also mad as hell. And I'm also scared. And that in and of itself, being a real person, showing them, hey, we're on the same, I'm not higher than you or anything like that. We're both in this journey and it's scary. It's frustrating. It's angering. And having someone just say, I get it. That's the therapy right there. Just being able to connect with somebody else because as people of color, we often feel like it's us against the world who is non-melanated, right? Um, and so when we can connect and, and be validated, like you feel anxiety and depression and panic and all of these things, anger, and to have it put into a context of you come by this honestly, that's incredibly powerful because prior to, you know, outside of like therapy or you know, mindfulness practices, people in our communities, they turn to drugs and alcohol, right? And that's a way to cope with stuff because it's not being talked about. So um, it's it's very cool to be a person of color in this field, especially during this time. None of us really, you know, I bet y'all can uh, agree that when you started your education journey, you didn't think, oh, meet like this is gonna like we thought we were just gonna go off to our little jobs and see some clients or whatever we didn't know that we were going to be like out here like um using our therapy platform for activism and um dealing with like real current events and stuff like that but I think it's what keeps our job really interesting too yeah and Nicole you want to say something no I just said in the passion go ahead Mara Oh, I was going to say, it it was definitely half and half for me. Like, I wanted to be a school counselor because I knew that Black kids needed me because I needed Absolutely. Um, But yeah, definitely going into mental health counseling is is definitely that. It's kind of the Mm -hmm. same thing. So I agree. Yeah. So I just have, I wanted to ask you, since we're continuing on this topic, is, can you name a time when your Blackness was interrupted? Yes. And so I learned, uh, if y'all haven't read the book, Blackness Interrupted, go read it. Um, shameless plug. Uh, Blackness Interrupted, where you realize it's it's kind of like a nuanced term, right? So as far as my Blackness being interrupted, I think the most significant one was, uh, uh, what year was it? I think it was 2018. 
Um, so y'all can relate with this. When you're in grad school, you're like hustling because you got to go to school full time, but you want to eat food sometimes too. So you have to like work and support yourself and stuff. So I remember at the time I worked at an agency full time. Um, I drove for Lyft and Uber. I had like two side gigs doing some clinical work at different agencies. I was literally just working all the time to, you know, get through my residency. Right. And I remember one time there, um, basically I'm like driving, I think it was Lyft and I was going to pick up somebody and all of a sudden bright flashlight, it was like an event downtown, bright flashlight in my face as I'm driving the car, like at low speed, cause I'm trying to go pick somebody up. And the officer goes from roll your window down to, I mean, it was such a blur, but it was like, do you realize that I have the power to take your life? That was what was told to me. And mind you, I'm, I, it's summer right now and I'm wearing a hoodie. I like to be comfortable, right? So I'm like in my car that I pay for doing a job that I have been doing for years, right? Um, and I'm told, don't you realize I have the ability to take your life? So it shattered everything because I'm like, wait, I'm someone like I'm a, a clinician at an agency. I'm an outpatient therapist. I'm a ma I hold a master's degree in professional counseling. I'm a resident in counseling. I pay my taxes, like all of that, not but that my that. black, <laughs> not yeah, <laughs> but my blackness was interrupted because it was like, oh, so you can do everything right and still become a statistic. And that right there, it took me years to process that until we started seeing every single day, this stuff happening to where now when I have a client who's like, yeah, I had this interaction with law enforcement and I didn't think I was going to make it out alive. I, I won't say everything happens for a reason because no one likes that person who says that. Um, but I'm able to use that experience to resonate with my clients when they go through it. But it also um, puts some fire under me for advocacy because when your blackness is interrupted like that, it's like, well, I can do everything right and still end up, you know, dead, right? There are racist, power-hungry people who don't give a fuck. Hopefully I'm allowed to cuss on here. Um, yeah. and, and then you see, like, we see these prominent cases, like Breonna Taylor was sleeping in her house, right? And she she worked a medical profession job and everything like that. And she wrong place, wrong time and racism. Right. Um, it's yeah. Every time I see something like that in the media and I don't even like look for media, it just finds us, you know, blackness is interrupted every time because growing up, in school, you know, we thought, oh, we learn about civil rights, we learn about slavery, and we think of that as something that's in the past. As adults, we're really like, oh my goodness, this is, we got a lot of work to do, right? So, wow. The answer to your question is that my blackness is interrupted like several times a day. Okay. Yeah. 
you your story reminds me of when I told Tamara because I grew up in a all white school. I told her like mm-hmm. my first time was like reading the two books A Raisin in the Sun and um How to Kill a Mockingbird, where like mm-hmm. How to Kill a Mockingbird, you see the white people would say that it teaches you not to judge a book by its cover. But mm-hmm. for me, I was just like, oh, this black man didn't do anything and he's in jail. And then you see on TV that this shit is actually happening. So for me, mm-hmm. I was just like stuck with those feelings as a child. And then mm-hmm. the Raising the Sun too, he did everything right. Tried to move them out of the neighborhood and everything. And I'm just like, it doesn't even matter. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's interesting. Unfortunately, I'm sorry that that was your experience, but it's, it's crazy that it happens all the time. I don't even yeah. know. And you said it took you years to process it. And it, it took me years to process it too, because I'm just yeah. like, wait a second, that story stressed me the hell out. English mm-hmm. class was never the same for me, you yeah. know? So it's just, it's interesting, but I'm, you know, that is terrifying experience. And um, you can't really process it either because the current climate, it's still. Yeah. Like, and I'm a whole therapist, right? Like I'm supposed to be able to process things and compartmentalize and cope and all of that stuff. But how do you really process and cope with something that is recurrent? It's kind of like you get beat down and then you heal yourself, but then you go back out to get beat down again, kind of thing. Hey, Tamara had a scary story like that too. I never approached with the cops, so I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's kind of like complex PTSD and you just have like trauma from every <laughs> recurrent trauma yeah <laughs> either vicarious or actually experienced exactly for me it's always a bonus like that aside from like just being terrified of the situation is a bonus of him saying like do you know I have like excuse yeah <laughs> always with the always with the hand on the holster right. and I'm like I'm in a Toyota Corolla. What am I going to do to hurt you, sir? Literally. It's like, why <laughs> the only thing I got in here is hand sanitizer. <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. It's it's beyond me. But yeah. What are you going to say? So before we wrap up, do you have any advice for anybody out there, whether that's you being a, a therapist, you being a dad, just in general, please, for anyone that's watching? Okay. Um, Boy, that's a big question. Uh, Protect your energy. Yes. We, um, I use the metaphor of, okay, a smartphone, right? If I open YouTube, um, Spotify, I have the screen on full brightness, I'm using my GPS, what's going to happen to this phone's battery? And then the please. It's going to deplete. And then if I don't charge it back up, the phone is useless to me. So when we go through life, we when we wake up in the morning, we're like a phone off the charger. So we get 100%. Um, and we have to figure out how to use that wisely throughout the day. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to try to take your energy, whether it be... Um, social media clapbacks and you know all of that stuff or you know consuming too much news or things like that it is okay you know we hear all the time self-care is not selfish it is okay to protect your energy if you know okay I'm really just trying to make it through the day 
I don't have to engage with every single post, every single bad piece of news that's coming. It's okay to protect your energy because at the end of the day, we can't do anything impactful if we're broke down ourselves. So that's my universal advice to everyone. And it's something that I remind myself. So protect your energy, be kind to yourself. That kind of goes along the same vein. If you're treating yourself and talking to yourself a certain kind of way, it makes it really hard to make an impact in the world if it doesn't line up. Um, wear a mask just because we're vaccinated. The No, <laughs> I'm vaccinated. I'm still going to wear my mask. I, I truly, I don't understand. I Let me stop. That, that's my last piece of advice. Still wear your mask. This this thing ain't over. And yeah. as and you know, that kind of goes into what you said as a parent. My daughter is 19 months old. She can't get a vaccine. So when people are not wearing a mask and I'm obviously I'm not taking her out that much, but the kids, like all the kids under the age of 12 are at risk of catching this thing. And I don't think a lot of consideration is given to that. So just be careful. Um, don't be out here being reckless. So. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's always a pleasure. We'd no love problem. to have you back on and speak about anything and everything. And we appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Y'all have a good one. You too. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today.